We arrive at the Red Mosque in Delhi's old town shortly after dawn. Already the city is awake and on the move. Rickshaws jostle with motor scooters. Shopkeepers hawk their wares. People walk briskly to work. The the cows in the streets scavenge for food. A hired van has dropped us at the base of the mosque. We climb the broad stairs and leave our shoes with the man whose job it is to keep the shoes. With the bright sun warming the red sandstone patio of the ancient mosque, we step out of the chaotic world and into holy space. The only tourists at the Red Mosque that morning are in our small group. We are free to wander wherever we would like. And we are quite ignored by the dozens of Muslims who have stopped by the mosque themselves to worship. Men kneel on prayer rugs. Women gather in small groups, their heads covered. Children tag along with their parents. I discovered that the sun has made the patio storm stones warm enough to take off my socks as well and to go barefoot, just like many of the Indians. The mosque's various porticos hold tablets of beautiful Arabic calligraphy. The call to prayer emanates from the high minaret. The sensation of being in this old house of worship is comfortable and pleasant. But what am I actually doing there? What is a Unitarian Universalist getting from walking barefoot in an Islamic mosque halfway around the world from home? Much like the sensation I get when I enter an ornate Catholic church or sit in a sparsely decorated synagogue, I was aware of two powerful things that day at the Red Mosque. I knew that I was in a place that held great religious significance. And I knew that religious significance was not my tradition. There I was, both a religious person and a tourist. Even as the sun-warmed patio made me think of Moses and others who have taken off their shoes on holy ground, I knew my socks and shoes would go right back on after the visit. I would leave the Red Mosque happy to have visited, but not any more inclined to follow Islam than I had been before. Just as I can enjoy a Shabbat service or a Mass or a Kirtan without wanting to become Jewish or Catholic or Hindu, I could leave the Red Mosque glad for its presence, but not envious of its followers. That day, envy did not overcome me, but that has not always been the case. There have been times in my life when I was so critical of my own religious tradition that I would have gladly borrowed objects, practices, and beliefs from other religions. Holy envy leads us to believe other faiths have better stuff. It takes a while to see that we can appreciate the other stuff without having to bring it home with us. 
The first time I heard the phrase, holy envy, writes Barbara Brown Taylor, I knew that it was an improvement on the plain old envy I felt while studying other faiths. When the Jewish Sabbath came up in class, I wanted it. Why did Christians ever give it up, I wondered. When we watched a film of the God-intoxicated Sufis spinning, I wanted that, too. The best my tradition had to offer me during worship was kneeling to pray and standing to sing. She goes on, my spiritual covetousness extended to the inclusiveness of Hinduism, the nonviolence of Buddhism, the prayer life of Islam, and the sacred debate of Judaism. Of course, this list is simplistic, idealistic, overgeneralized, and full of my own projections. It tells you much about what I find wanting in my own tradition as it does about what I find desirable in another. This gets to the heart of the problem, she says. With plain old envy, my own tradition always comes up wanting. Now, if Barbara Brown Taylor, famous Episcopal priest, professor, author, If Barbara Brown Taylor can admit her holy envy, I'm guessing we can too. How many times have we found ourselves wishing Unitarian Universalism could be more serious like the Jews? How many times have we found ourselves wishing Unitarian Universalism could be more lively like, say, a black Christian church? How many times have we found ourselves wishing Unitarian Universalism could be more colorful like the Hindus? I'm sure that we have wished for elaborate rituals, charming statues, longer chants, and livelier singing. Heck, some of us might even get a thrill of having to stand for the whole service, surrounded by icons and incense, just like the Orthodox. I'd be surprised if there was a person here this morning who has not envied another religious tradition. If you are like me, you have even collected trinkets from them, souvenirs from your religious tourism. While some religious traditions are exclusivistic, they say that theirs is the only way to salvation, we UUs tend to treat the world's religions much more like a buffet. We tend to move along, plate in hand, taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and like most choices made at a buffet, we are not going for the steamed broccoli. We like the sweet, shiny, fatty bits of other religions. We like their festivals, their vestments, their celebratory meals, and their beads. It is a radical shift for us to move from coveting another's spirituality to appreciating it without needing to own it. It is a radical shift to move in this direction. While some religious traditions quarrel and war with each other, we tend to go to the other extreme we use. We sometimes like to think all of the religions are essentially alike with interchangeable parts. I say that we need to work to understand religious pluralism as a means between two extremes. 
The religions of the world are in fact not all alike, and the religions of the world must move from competition to cooperation if we are ever to have peace. Ideally, each person would have his or her own beliefs without having to thrust them on another person. Ideally, each person would truly appreciate how someone else approaches the divine. We Unitarian Universalists could be leaders in this work, for ours is a fine old faith, quite accustomed to accommodating differences. I sometimes like to joke that Unitarian Universalism has reformed itself right out of Christendom. And this is true in a good way. On both sides of the family, Unitarian Universalism comes squarely out of the liberal Christian tradition. There are many UUs today, me included, who have a great appreciation for that liberal Christian tradition and for the life of Jesus. But we don't stop there. Just as our religious forebears here in Concord first found the Church of England too restricting and then Puritanism too restricting, so others found early Unitarianism too orthodox and Transcendentalism too ethereal. First Parish in Concord was founded by Puritans who became Unitarians, who became Transcendentalists, who became Humanists, who became us. Rather than narrowing our religious lens, we chose to open it wider and wider all the time. What we did not become, however, was Jewish or Muslim or Buddhist. Each step in our religious evolution came as a logical next step, following the dictates of freedom, reason, and tolerance. We might be envious of other religious traditions, but we are wise enough to stick with what fits us. The next step is to simultaneously celebrate who we are and appreciate others. We are amid the Jewish high holy days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Each year, Jews use the time leading up to and through Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to take stock of their lives. This season of fasting and prayer allows them to review the year gone by to see where they might have harmed someone or otherwise gone astray. In preparation for the new year, Jews make amends for their shortcomings. They seek to start the new year with a clean slate to be inscribed in the metaphorical book of life is to look forward to health, prosperity, and happiness for another cycle. Now it's easy for us to look with envy at Judaism at this time of year. Who among us wouldn't like to forgive and be forgiven? Who wouldn't want to start a new year with a clean slate? Who wouldn't want to be inscribed in the book of life for another trip around the sun. Many UUs were raised Jewish or have a Jewish background. For them, the high holy days are real. They have power. The most important thing to remember is that you and I also have ways of responding to the same human needs from our own tradition. Repentance is welcome in Unitarian Universalism. 
There is nothing so heavy that you might not tell one of your ministers and have your burden eased. Forgiveness is abundant in Unitarian Universalism. There is no sin so great that you might not be redeemed from it. And a new start is always available in your own tradition. There is no old habit, no past wrong, no stuck place that might not be left behind right here. We, you use, can appreciate the high holy days, and we have our own equally powerful ways of responding. The beauty of this faith is how it leaves room for forgiveness and joy. It leaves room for repentance and peace. It acknowledges both sin and hope. Unitarian Universalism is not content with salvation in the sweet by and by. It instead insists on helping save the world for the living. And this is an amazing aspect. When we uphold our religious convictions, we stand shoulder to shoulder with our religious siblings. We need be envious no longer. There's a Buddhist teaching that says we humans are responsible for our own destiny. With no divine mediator in Buddhism to erase human mistakes or offer a free pass to salvation, people have to own up to their actions. In Buddhism, Words and actions have natural consequences which affect everyone. Some lead to joy and some lead to sorrow, but no one else can handle them for us. They are ours to handle and to learn from as best we are able. When the Buddha himself lay dying, his disciples asked him how they could possibly go on without him. Who would guide them after he was gone? Be lamps unto yourselves, he said. Rely on yourselves and do not rely on external help. Hold fast to the truth as a lamp. What the Buddha is saying is, be true to yourself. True to yourself to know right from wrong. Live and learn as you go. And is this not the best way to be in all things? To be ourselves, to think carefully, to act responsibly, to speak gently, to welcome the stranger, to never forget the power of love. We need not envy other people of faith We need not envy one another. This world is big and complex and messed up and beautiful. It needs every one of us. It needs our love. So be it. Amen. 